This podcast was recorded on Gadigal land. Branch Out would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of this land and all elders past, present and emerging. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. What's your favourite tree? Mine's a salmon gum, the ones that grow in Western Australia. They've got this beautiful, smooth pink trunk and they're really tall, so they stand out in the landscape. Our native trees are well adapted to the Australian landscape, but climate change is so complex that even the strongest trees are under threat. The 1st of August 2021 marks National Tree Day in Australia. And so, on Branch Out, we're talking about the future of trees and the ecosystems they live in. I had a virtual catch-up with Andy Lee, Associate Professor in Plant Ecology at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's part of this big collaborative project called Living on the Edge, How do Australian Plants from Extreme Environments Cope with Extreme Temperatures? With a project this big, my first question had to be, what inspired this research? Yeah, well, the the project actually first came about because my colleague um, from the Australian National University, Professor Adrian Nakotra, and her research team had been working for many years on cold tolerance in alpine plants. Mm. And my research team had been focusing at the same time uh, in a different universe in Sydney on heat tolerance of desert plants. And a few years ago, we got to chatting about how these extreme, in these extreme environments, plants can experience swings of over 30 degrees in a single day. Mm. So in a, in a desert, you can get zero overnight, like say in spring, you might get zero overnight, and then you might get a really, you know, 30 degrees or even more. So you can have these extreme swings in these extreme environments. So, and unlike animals, plants are sort of, you know, they're rooted to the spot, they can't run away. So they've got to cop this. So we decided to put our collective expertise together along (laughs) with the expertise of our colleagues in the Department of Planning, Industry and Environment, the Royal Botanic Gardens Domains Trust and Saving Our Species. So really people who are doing a lot of that you know, on ground management kind of work, if you like, mm. and conservation work, along with our sort of more fundamental science work at the universities, because we really feel that the sort of much wider, more collaborative space is where we need to be looking at, at these issues more holistically. The team of scientists at the universities is, is academics, research assistants, PhD students, honours students, and even, you know, undergraduate interns and volunteers. They're all equal contributors to this work. Thinking about the work that you're doing and studying these plants and their responses to temperature, what are you looking for? How can you tell a plant is stressed by temperature or has adaptations? What signs are there? I like to take this back to... Uh, first principles, if you will, plants mm-hmm. are essentially the reason humans and, and indeed most animals exist. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. You know, we've chopped up plants to make shelters and so forth. But mm. the main one, the most obvious one, is carbohydrates, which is our food. Yes. Um, and those carbohydrates are produced by photosynthesis using the energy from sunlight. Um, 
combined with the water that they're taking up by, you know, through their roots, along with a bunch of soil nutrients. Photosynthesis happens in every part of a plant that is coloured green. So mm. the pigment in plants that makes them green is chlorophyll, and that's where photosynthesis happens. And the proteins involved in photosynthesis are especially sensitive to temperature stress. Oh. Yeah. So because photosynthesizing is plants' like main job description, mm. uh, we tend to measure the damage to or the impaired function of these proteins, and that helps us understand plants' response to temperature stress. That makes so much sense now. <laughs> yes. Well, I tried to make it simple. So, so, we, so, so we measure that using, um, well, there's lots of ways, but generally nowadays, most of us doing this work are looking at the stress of these this photosynthetic tissue mm. with a tool called a fluorometer, which measures Ooh. chlorophyll fluorescence. And yeah, it's sort of complex, but just essentially when light hits the chlorophyll, that's a green pigment in, mm. the, in the leaves, it travels one of three pathways. It can be used in photosynthesis. Yep. It can be dissipated as heat mm-hmm. or it can be emitted as fluorescence. Now, we don't oh. see that with the naked eye, but it's happening. Actually, um, fluorescence is happening off everything. But we measure the balance among these three pathways to sort of tell how healthy or damaged the photosystems in the leaves are. And we measure it like before we torture the plants <laughs> and then after we torture them with some sort of application of temperature stress. And that from that, we can determine like a, like a, a tipping point or threshold, which um, and that threshold will refer to as thermal tolerance of that mm. species at that time. It's National Tree Day next week. And so I've been thinking a lot more about uh, our tree species and how they differ and how they're the same to other plants and the stresses that they might be encountering. In relation to your project, uh, where do trees fit into the picture? Yeah, trees are fundamentally important, obviously, in the landscape, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. I mean, well, plants are generally, but trees, I think one of the particular things is that they're long-lived. They tend to have their roots, you know, well down in the water, water table. They're stabilising the soil and so on. And so when a tree is um, lost, it represents, you know, a big loss to the environment because they're long-lived and they take generally and they take a long time to come back, unlike, you know, grass. So understanding how um, trees survive in the landscape, how they live, how they cope with stress is is really important. One of the things that's... um, I guess if we think about the stresses I've been talking about, temperature stress um, in particular, I think it's important to remember that that stresses often will come in in combination with other stresses. So temperature stress doesn't tend to arrive on its own. Thinking about this mechanistically, you know, if you're a if you're a, a, a tree in the landscape, and we're thinking about now just high high temperatures as an example. Yeah. One of the best ways to cope with uh, heat extremes is to keep your leaves cool. So if you have access to water, 
this is often like quite possible. It's a bit like uh, sweating in humans. Oh. <laughs> when, when you or I get hot, sweat evaporates off the surface of our skin. Uh, it works to cool us because water, sweat, it carries heat. And so when the water evaporates off our skin, the heat's lost at the same time, cools us down. So plants don't have sweat, sweat glands, but they have stomata on their leaves. And it's through the stomata, when those stomata, they're little pores, um, when they are open, then water evaporates. It, it actually happens as a byproduct or as a, as a process of photosynthesis. It's not it's not that leaves think, oh, I need to sweat now. It's just a, it's just a yeah. happy sort of like, you know, advantage that when they're evaporating water, it's called transpiration. When when transpiration happens and water is evaporating out of their stomata, they're, they're cooling down in the same way that you and I will sweat. So, That's so um, cool. Yeah, it's cool. So, but that happens only if stomata are open. Yes. So generally speaking, um, plants can keep their stomata open as long as there's sufficient water in the soil and also if if that you know depends on the species and the triggers and so forth but mm. if the air isn't really dry and there's enough water in the soil then they can keep their stomata open and photosynthesis can go on happening and also leaves can go on cooling so some of uh, my research team have looked at this in a small desert tree um, Myopora montanum, it's called water bush, uh, in summer when daytime temperatures were reaching the mid-40s and we found that the difference in leaf temperatures between water-stressed and well-watered plants could be up to several degrees, between 5 wow. and 8 degrees. Yeah, pretty amazing. And that the, the water-stressed um, leaves were getting up to like 50 degrees which was wow. obviously higher than ambient temperature at the time and and interestingly we'd also measured thermal thresholds that I was telling you about earlier mm. we've measured those on this plant as well and so the water stress leaves were pushing those thermal thresholds and the the, the unwater stress plants weren't so that's you know that was really um, showing how water stress and and temperature stress or heat waves were, were combining. Yeah. I guess these examples, Andy, am I right in saying, kind of show how many different complex parts of climate change can be challenging for our plant species? Absolutely, yeah. And that one of the particular, it's not one, but of the, of the factors that are working in concert, extreme events and and will include in that bushfires mm. flooding droughts and temperature event, events all of those things are those extreme events are really what push populations and indeed species over the edge so mm. you might have a sort of an undercurrent of a low grade increased average and people think about oh you know two degrees that's fine and they just think about the human universe of I can mm. cope with two degrees average higher because that feels like nothing, but it's not, it's everything that comes along with that. A hundred percent. What are you hoping is the outcome of this project? Is it to improve just understanding or to apply it to conservation efforts? 
Absolutely both. <laughs> Absolutely both, yeah. And I think that's one of the beauties of having really collaborative teams is that you're sort of working to a, a lot of different agendas yeah. um, that are complementary. So one of the arms of the project in the Living, Living on the Edge project, which we're really excited about, is the expert elicitation process which has been gaining currency more recently because of the need or the recognition, I suppose, that we have very little time. We have to act quite quickly. We have to make decisions quickly. Mm. Science can take a long time. Yeah. So there are there is a need to make some more rapid decisions and, and we have a, lot, a massive lack of data in, in so many of these areas and on so many species. So what we're doing is trying to approach expert elicitation in such a way that we're we're gathering the the knowledge of experts and attempting and succeeding i have to um, <laughs> please to say to, to turn that qualitative knowledge into quantitative mm. data yeah. that we can use to inform decision making we've talked a few times about the plant's tolerance levels to uh, different temperatures. What is it about plants that makes them more or less tolerant? Oh, yeah. Um, I wish I had a crystal ball or, or, <laughs> or I wish I knew the answer. Yeah. Um, a range of, of different things, I think. Mm. I mean, genetic, we've got a genetic component to our yes. projects. At the moment, we're still in the process of collecting those data. The project isn't finished yet. We're sort mm. of two thirds of the way through. But the next sort of step or one of the next steps is working with some of our genetically based colleagues um, in the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney, who are helping us to look at whether if thermal tolerance is changing, uh, for example, thermal tolerance can change based on location it's it's mm. it's a slightly plastic trait it can tra yeah. change over season and it can and, and change um sort of can acclimate but it can change also based on where it might be situated so we have that on um well we have that going on on a more pragmatic level you know there are different species that will vary in thermal tolerance but also Lot, we're sort of looking at a bunch of different things. For example, if you've got really thermally tolerant leaves, are they also leaves that are long lived? Are they also oh. leaves that you will hold on to, hold hold on to for several years, or are you an annual plant that's just going to turn over those leaves every year yeah. and it doesn't, you know, that you've got a sort of live fast, die young approach to your leaves? Mm -hmm. And so, there've been some recent studies that have looked at that but some say one thing and some say the other thing so i think yeah. it's a combination of strategies that plants have for for this and mm. and i think one of the things that's fundamentally going to influence how how well you can protect your leaves with your physiological mechanisms when when plants are stressed they produce these things called heat shock proteins in fact heat shock proteins exist in all animals or all living things i should say bacteria you know fungi animals plants and and there are different ones in different taxa but heat shock proteins are they are things that are upregulated. 
-hmm. when stress is encountered, so not just heat but potentially drought or other things, and those heat shock proteins set about doing a whole bunch of things like holding on to, to proteins to stop them uh, denaturing, falling apart. And that they are fantastic at you know, preventing um, death and, and f of, of leaves, but, you know, protecting photosynthetic tissue, but they're expensive to produce. So if yeah. you're going to produce heat shock proteins to look after yourself when you're getting heat stressed, then that might ultimately prevent you from reproducing that year. You not, might not oh. produce any flowers or fruit. So that's it's a costly exercise to be protecting your leaves. And so that can also, depending on the plant's strategy, and let's not think about them having brains, but <laughs> their evolutionary strategy, yeah. you know, what, what they're evolved to do, they might be evolved to to protect their leaves and therefore sacrifice fruit or they might be just letting their leaves get stressed and being prepared to sacrifice those leaves so yeah, yeah there's a whole range of things that will influence how it changes that's fascinating i think so <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to ask andy how did you get into this area of research because it's so specific Here's the short version. <laughs> I, um, I've always been interested in plants, but never really thought particularly that that's something I was interested in. I certainly didn't come into science for a long time. I you know, went to art school, I did a fine arts degree, oh. and then I went to Africa, and then I ended up oh. being a guide in Africa and an overland truck, and I was convinced that I was going to be a zoologist and oh. so when I finally decided to get serious and come back to Australia and do a science degree I thought mm. yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be a zoologist I love animals so much but within the first few weeks of my biology degree at mm. ANU I remember having a, a one of my botany classes and the teacher the professor at the time it was out in the field he was he he said, come on, we're, our next lesson's going to be up here. And he just dropped everything at the base of this giant fig tree and sort of climbed halfway up the tree yeah. <laughs> within about two seconds and said, well, if you want to hear this lecture, you've got to come up here. So we, oh my goodness. this is before the days of WHS. <laughs> we all climbed yeah. up the tree and hung over these fig tree branches and he gave us a lesson about fig wasp formation. Oh, wow. and so I thought, mm, maybe I need to study plants instead. And so I started getting more interested in them. And so, so I had this real passion for, for plants by the time I was halfway through my, my science degree and I decided mm. that was it. I guess I'm pretty well in love with deserts, partly because I like hot weather and extreme environments and big horizons, but I'm also seriously fascinated with how plants can do it. Like yeah. I just have to sit there and cop it. When, you know, I'm standing there as a human in 47 degrees sort of melting and they're just going, look, I'm okay, just don't talk to me. I'm just here. <laughs> and, and that to me, you know, asking a plant that can't answer, how are you coping? Yeah. Is, is I guess, is partly what drives me. Absolutely. Oh, that was painted a beautiful picture. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of to wrap up from that do you have any advice for listeners if they're like wow i want to learn more and one day contribute to 
studying either heat tolerant plants or plants affected by climate change what advice do you have for them to pursue that line of research what kind of skills do they need to develop so if we're talking about listeners who haven't yet gone to uni and thinking about it then obviously doing a degree in life sciences or environmental sciences is pretty key you know stay in science and maths if you can Mm. because it's fun it's really fun and even if it feels a bit scary um it was terrifying to me you know I was an art student I grew up like wagging school um, so I could climb trees but yeah I I think it's stick with it and and then you know if you can go to uni but if you can't go to uni that's okay too Mm. volunteer Mm -hmm. uh particularly at places like botanic gardens volunteer Mm -hmm. for researchers like me Mm -hmm. um and and just get interested get annoying be in people's faces so that they (laughs) they can see that you're interested and and just ask lots of questions and usually asking questions results in more questions but they'll usually take you somewhere interesting yeah and that's applicable to any stage of career whether yeah you're in high school or still at uni or you know just someone who's interested in plants the you're right questions will lead you to more questions but that's good Mm. fantastic well thank you so much for joining me this morning andy that's been my pleasure rose i've really enjoyed it Thanks for listening to Branch Out. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast if you liked it, tell a friend about the podcast or leave us a review. As promised, next time on Branch Out, we'll be exploring the topic of extreme plants even further about how the plants and the botanists studying them survive in extreme environments.